Rev3 Adventure offers life-enriching outdoor activities for extreme athletes, weekend warriors, and the casual health enthusiasts of all ages. Each event is designed to unleash the adventure within. Check out Rev3Adventure.com in the show notes to find your next adventure. Now let's do this thing. Welcome to TA1, everything you want to know about it, adventure racing and then some. I'm your host, legendary Randy Erickson, and it's a kind of a special night. We have the legendette sitting across doing some work on her computer. That would be the giggling you hear. So, And Stevie and Jimmy, Chili's still in the truck from her hike. <laughs> so I'll make this short. Probably got to go get her out of there. But uh, remember to use the code LEGENDARY for any Rev3 events for your discount. And thanks to them. And uh, by the time you're probably hearing this, I'll be on the Silver Bird on my way to New Zealand in God Zone. Um, 99% packed. Of course, it is the night before, so that's the time to pack. Um, just a couple of little things to throw in, and we'll be gone, losing a day of my life. So, but uh, that's that's how it goes when you travel halfway around the world. So. Looking forward to it. Should be an interesting race, kind of a wide open race. Um, listen to next week's podcast. We'll have Warren Bates, God's Own Race Director. We're going to handicap some of the teams, see what our we think will be happening, and um, maybe look talk a little bit about the course. So this week is Mark Latanzi making a return appearance, um, talking about. Patagonia and his uh, challenges down there, so to speak. So uh, let's listen to it, right? So thanks for listening. Go fast, take chances, and have fun. Hey, Randy. <coughs> How you doing? I'm good. How are you today? Good. Looks like all my meters are working, so... <laughs> we're, well, very good. Yeah, we're good. I uh, had a chat last night with Emily Korsh, and... I couldn't figure out what it is, but I had an echo. So I was listening to myself in my head, in the earphones. Uh huh. Very disconcerting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then when we got done and I had some time to figure, finally figure it out, I got it. So it's normal. Well, as normal as we can be, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so um, welcome home. And here's my first question: What the hell is it about Patagonia that? Everybody wants to go back all the time. <laughs> Do you think everybody wants to go back? Oh. I can't decide. Yeah, I mean, Paulette would go back in a second. Well, our team, we had, um, let's see, it was Tim and I's fourth, Wendy's third, and Pete's second. So we had quite a quite a crew, I guess. Yeah. Well, and then you know, it's they call it the last wild race. Yep. And it kind of is, you know, I mean, you really, it's rare that you see buildings or civilization or anything, not even a trail, right? Yeah. Um, and so it, it's just like you're an explorer from the 1500s. Yeah. You're just out there and you're like, wow, I don't think anybody's ever been here. 
Well, well, except for the teams in front of us, you know. <laughs> well, that is kind of a cool feeling, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's it is, and it really is. I mean, I I emailed with a few teams and just gave them some advice, mm -hmm. and I said, don't treat this like a regular, you know, adventure race or even an expedition adventure race. It's it it can be a survival thing, and so you really need. Don't skimp on your sleeping bags. Don't skimp on your tent. Don't don't skimp on your food. You know, because a leg that you think is going to take you thirty hours might just take you sixty. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's pretty challenging, and I think that's the appeal. Yeah. So how how much of an advantage is it that you've been? That's your fourth trip. Fourth trip. I mean, compared uh, to the rookies. Yeah, well, certainly, if you've never done it, then you you don't even know what you're getting into. So I think having done it once, mm -hmm. you understand the the rates of travel and the bush. Like, you start to understand how to get through the, we called it Gus, uh, green, ugly stuff. You know, it's yeah. these trees that grow in the ravines, and you have to keep going down through a ravine and up. And so, but you learn how to do it more efficiently but the first time you see it you just think you've you know you've entered a world of darkness <laughs> yeah. yeah well what tell us yeah just start talking about this year because that's all i want to hear <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh this year uh you know it was uh we started on the east coast mm -hmm. at the dunganus lighthouse and we mostly waste, raced west across to the Pacific. Uh -huh. So we had a headwind. The first three legs were the worst, you know, and it was anywhere from, I don't know, you know, 20 miles an hour to 60. You know, we, you had to pedal down the hills. Yeah. Um, and so that was really demoralizing to kind of start off. So the first day and a half, you're just fighting this wind, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, the first leg was a 20 mile run on the beach into the wind and you, you finish that you're wind blown, you're tired, you're dehydrated. You can't even talk to your teammates because it's the wind is so loud, you know? So then we get on our bikes and it's 272 kilometers into the wind and you can't talk to your teammates and you're just like pushing and pace lining and struggling for, I mean, it took us a day and a half. Yeah. So yeah, the wind this year, and then it got cold, and then one day it got very rainy, and the weather just really turned nasty, uh, and a lot of teams, depending on where you were, that ended your race, um, so and the teams that managed to get through that could kind of keep going and get to the finish line. Yeah. Was, yeah. compare the, I mean, was this, it's hard to compare them, but what do you think was this one compared to others? As far um, as being hard or navigation-wise or things like that? Uh, you know, it was on par. Yeah. It wasn't – it certainly wasn't the hardest one I've done, mm -hmm. but I don't think it was the easiest. You know, it was kind of mid-range. Some of the legs were pretty challenging. Uh, the last trek, which we didn't do, um, they, they run an ultra marathon. And they'd actually cut a trail through the river valley. And all the teams – I mean, they were expecting to take – 30 hours, you know, and, and they did it in nine to 12. Wow. 
because there was a trail and it's like a trail in Patagonia. How unheard of. Right. Exactly. Uh, so, but it was, it was a typical Patagonia race. No, just, uh, how, I mean, and this, this is, you know, from watching it here and then I kind of missed part of it cause I was in Belize, but it, my impression was, is the navigation was a little bit easier than some years. Yeah, it, it was. Um, it really is some kind of gross navigation down there too, right? You're sort of like, you look at the mountains and you go, okay, we got to go up that river valley. And, and you don't really need to keep track of exactly where you are on the map because it's like, we got to go up this river valley and through this pass. And when we get to the pass, we're going to know we're there, right? Yeah. So, and, and it's going to take you 15, 16 hours or whatever to do that. And that's only, you know, a third of the trek. So... Um, but they also did something kind of weird. They put out reflective poles along some of the routes. Oh, and they said, uh, you know, if the poles are there, you need to follow them. And it's like, well, okay. Except sometimes there were gaps that were kilometers apart. And so you didn't even know if there was going to be another pole. And it really caused a lot of confusion because they sort of had poles up until this one point and then they quit using them. And everybody's on their bike looking for the next pole, and there's not one. And so a bunch of teams got lost for many hours, like, you know, anywhere from four to eight, um, looking for that next pole, as opposed to just looking at the map and going, well, the TA's got to be down in that ravine over there, and just going to it. Um, so, so that was kind of weird. Yeah. It, it seems like kind of an adventure race thing that uh... – Sometimes teams can get fixated on one thing, like, uh, like, yeah, there's poles and then there's not, or, you know, on the occasion when they get to use a GPS and, and they just get fixated on that and forget to look at the map. So. Right. Yeah. So. It's easy to do. Yeah. So yeah. always yeah. keep an eye on your map, folks. Right. <laughs> so, um, where for you personally, was it, you have a good race, you Stay healthy. We, we did. We had a great race. I mean, our team, we were experienced. We were definitely older. Yeah. Um, I think we figured out the average age of the team was 51. Um, so that's kind of getting up there for, you know, it's nice to have a young person on the team to carry all the heavy stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, but we decided that we were going to sleep. Like travel in Patagonia at night is really slow. So rather than beat our heads doing that, we just decided we were sleeping every night for five to six hours, every night, yeah. you know? So we'd put on our headlamps, it'd get dark around 10, and we, from 10 to midnight, we would trek or bike or whatever with our headlamps looking for a campsite. And as soon as we found one, we would stop for the night. Huh. So we got a great amount of sleep. And it really, I think it served us well. You know, I mean, we came into the, at the end of the second big trek, we were tied with um, Merrill and MOB for third place, you know, and, and we were sleeping five, six hours a night. <laughs> but so I think that really served us well. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, you know, so that and also the other thing that made that really nice was we weren't sleepy. So we could really enjoy the trekking and the biking when we were doing it. It wasn't like we were fighting sleep monsters or, you know, or just barely awake and, and not 
kind of looking at the terrain. We just really, really enjoyed the race. We didn't make any major navigational mistakes. Um, we, you know, we got decent sleep. So when we finished the race, we weren't just totally, you know, whacked out. Um, yeah, so we had a good race. Uh, we ended up stopping, um, near the end. We made it, we were in the top six, uh, the six teams that had finished the second big trek. Um, but, uh, one of my teammates had a uh, bike accident on a bridge and kind of torqued her hip. And over the next couple of days, it got worse and worse. And it was an artificial replacement hip to begin with. And, it, and she just felt like it was going to come apart. Oh, yeah. And so when, when we finished that track, we said, is it really worth doing the last 15, you know, 12 to 15 hours of the race? And so we, we, we pulled out. We did it on our own terms. You know, we, we didn't have to be rescued by helicopter or anything. So that was good. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't have the satisfaction of crossing the finish line, but it was the right decision. So... Yeah, well, that's good. So, did uh, have a have a chat with hips with uh, Jason afterwards? Yeah, right. Yeah, his was way worse, but um, yeah, they pulled it out actually right after we did. So, yeah, it sounds like with that much trekking, it sounded pretty pretty br- brutal on uh, hips, so to speak. Yeah, right. So, yeah. yeah, especially when you're grinding bone against bone. I mean, Jason was in pain for. Like almost every step of the race. Well, I don't. Yeah. yeah. Anybody that knows Jason to to see that most most mortals would have dropped out or quit long before that. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> well, the good thing is he's only got like probably what fifty pounds on that hip at any one time. So. Right. <laughs> but yeah. Well, he'll get it fixed. I'm sure he'll be back stronger than ever. Yeah, it'll be curious to see uh, to follow that story a little bit. I'll have to. Um, well, I don't know if I'll, you know, if he's still be going to go to God's Zone or not, but it'd be fun to talk to him there about that. So, um, I know Chelsea's going. I don't yeah, think Jason. That would be that, my guess. I can't imagine that he would be, yeah, be healed up enough to think right. about it. So, um, well, I'm not even going to ask you if you're going to go to the next one because that's kind of. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the moment there isn't the next one, but I'm yeah. guessing he'll do them every two years. Yeah, I, I thinking that might start to be a little bit of a, a way some of the bigger races do it. Is that your yeah, two-year model? Yeah, I, I kind of like that model. I, you know, every year, you know, going down to Patagonia, it takes almost three weeks by the time you get down there and race and get back, and yeah. you know, and it's it's pretty challenging. So, and it's not it, cheap. And it's not cheap. So, um. All right, the tech, little technical question. Um, so, wasn't some of your gear late? Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, um, my plane got delayed and eventually canceled, but I managed to get on another one, but, of course, my luggage didn't. Yeah. So they found my two gear bags, but they lost my bike. <laughs> and so I didn't have my bike. My bike showed up the like at 6 p.m., the night before check-in that next day, I finally got somebody at the airport who went and looked for it and found it and put it on a plane. And so, so I did get it. So it was all fine, but I had already made a list of all the gear in the box and I was already renting and buying gear to replace it all. Yeah. Um, but thankfully it did show up. And so I, I did manage to you know have all my own gear and my own bicycle. So, 
That's all good. And it, it's- yeah, well, a couple teams had it went through that. The German team uh, mailed all their food there about like six weeks ago, and it it got stuck in customs and they never got it. Wow. So they had to go to the store to buy everything, you know. Yeah, but um, that's kind of the uh, that's kind of the norm for basically right. any South America race, right? Well, right. Yeah. And we all talk about what food did you get through customs as yeah. opposed to what did they confiscate, you know, because every, every official is different and some let stuff through and others confiscated. And so it's like, you got mangoes through, wow, you know, or beef jerky. Uh, yeah. So. Well, in Belize, I took my drone and Scott, the director took his and his didn't make it through customs and mine was, you know, didn't even, you know, yeah, blink, right? Yeah, and what? And hindsight being, his was in a case separately, and I stuck mine, took the props off, and stuck it in my suitcase. So, but it was, you know, it was listed under the right. So, yeah. You huh, just, so yeah, they so, didn't allow drones and no, because they got it. Um, eventually, Doug had to make oh. like two extra trips to Belize City to get oh, right. customs. Oh. But and then the uh, great thing is that we have two drones and we got two drone shots. Scott crashed his into a temple, into a Mayan temple. Oh boy! <laughs> it, it was hilarious because it was coming back because you know, when the uh, batteries go dead, they they theoretically go back to where they start. And it was headed at the temple, and I could see him because if he could have run up at like five feet, he could have grabbed it. But it's uh-huh. right behind the sign that says no trespassing, right beside oh, right. the uh, guy with the uh, AR-15. <laughs> so, so, yeah. yeah. And then mine, I pulled the power cable out after the first flight, and it's in the jungle somewhere in Belize. So, yeah. <laughs> so two, two drones, two drone shots. But so we got, we got two anyway. So, um, wow. so it's been a while since we talked. Because you were one of my first uh, subjects. Yeah, it's been a few years, hasn't it? So you kind of not been adventure racing as much, more like running 85 days in a row. Yeah, well, five or six. Yeah, yeah I got, I've been doing a couple of stage races. I'm doing one in May. Mm-hmm. I'm doing the Northern Traverse that uh, uh, James Thurlow puts on from Open Adventure in the U.K., mm-hmm. Yeah, that'll be a fun race. It's a 200-mile run across uh, the Lake District and the moors and the dales of England. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, and I got a couple more races. I'm going to do the Itera, which is his race as well, yeah. in Ireland. And then I'll be at Worlds, I guess. So, well, that'll be cool. So is that, I mean, you make a conscious decision to do more running as adventure racing, or is it just something that's worked out for you? Uh, no, I've always been a runner and, and I am, I'm kind of, I think I'm scaling back my international adventure racing. Mm -hmm. It's just a lot of effort, you know, hauling your bike and a hundred pounds of gear around the world. Um, yeah. So I think I'm just going to slowly phase out of that and just start doing maybe some stage runs and maybe even just adventure travel, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So I keep telling people I'm going to retire, but I really might. And this might be my last year of doing anything substantial. So, yeah. well, we we'll won't see. hold we won't hold you to it, but no, uh, it's probably a good thing because I've been saying it for years. <laughs> but <laughs> it, it is kind of funny that you know, really, you could go do all these adventure 
races, whatever. You could just go do them. But there's something yeah. about, uh, you know, maybe you don't quite find the coolest spot like like uh, a race director will take you to. Yeah, like the big caves in Belize and mm -hmm. things like that. I mean, you know, but you, you find some cool spots. I did a trek um, a couple of years ago in Copper Canyon just to roll your own. And it was amazing, you know, and we just bought some maps and picked her out. And no trails, went down, got lost, figured it out, got back out of the canyon. You know, it was a great trip. So, yeah, so people will people will know that, yeah, you can do that on your own if you really want to. Right. So, um, well, then the other one you're doing and kind of uh, I'm in the loop on a little bit is the Trans-Pyrenees. Yeah, right. <laughs> what do you, and if it, for those that don't know, it's 900 kilometers roughly in 400 hours. So, um, that, that sounds long, doesn't it? Okay, it's only 550 miles. How's that sound? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Sometimes well, to me, kilometers sound shorter than miles, and I don't know. I know, that. right? Yeah. I think that one, it's also the terrain, right? Because it's across the spine of the Pyrenees. Yeah. So literally up and down all the time. That would yeah. not be in a stage race. I mean, being nonstop. Do you think your background in adventure racing gives you a, you know, like I, you're, yes. you're used to that? I think it gives me a very, or any adventure racer, a very distinct advantage. Mm -hmm. So like when I did the one, I did the Tour de Gion in Italy, which is 200 miles in the Alps. Mm -hmm. nonstop and I treated it like a seven stage adventure race because they moved your bag every 50k or so and you got it at what they called life bases okay and so I just treated it like seven trekking legs and I was I was doing an adventure race you know huh? and that served me really well um and a lot of people just sort of run until they can't run anymore and collapse wherever they happen to be and then they don't have their gear with them, and so they don't get really good rest, and, and then they stop. They end up stopping a lot more often. Yeah. And so having that plan of I'm doing this leg, you know, I'm getting to my bag, and then I'll eat, I'll sleep, I'll do whatever I need to do, and then I'll get up and, and I'll do the next leg. Mm -hmm. um, so it's nonstop, but it's but it's still more of a adventure racing mentality than a nonstop running mentality. Yeah, that that's the thing we found when Paulette did the Tahoe 200 is the, the ultra runners were just freaking out because they didn't know, you know, what do you do? What do you do after that 30 hours when you've run the first hundred? They don't have a clue. That's right. Yeah. And you look at the adventure and, you know, Paulette was kind of like, well, you know, there's, yeah. it's on a trail and you don't have to navigate and it's only one thing. It's like, how hard can that be? Right. Just, yeah. Right. Go 30 hours, then sleep a little. Mm -hmm. Eat a dehydrated meal and, and start again, right? Reset and go after it. Yeah. So, so I won't hold you to it, but how long is it going to take you to do 900K? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you obviously have an idea, roughly. In your you head. think so, wouldn't you? Yeah, well. Uh, I, ex I would like to do um, – I don't know. I could I could tell you in terms of pacing, yeah. or I could you know it's. But basically, if I would like to be able to do between thirty and forty miles every day. Yeah. So right, so yeah. five hundred miles, 
is going to take me like 11 13 or 13 days 14 days something like that yeah uh yeah uh and maybe it, it goes a little quicker you know but the the numbers just get so big it boggles the brain right i mean i don't know what my body does when i say oh it's day seven and i need to go another 35 miles right i mean so yeah it'll be an interesting thing yeah we kind of look at it here is like you got to go 2.2k an hour which that doesn't sound bad does it uh, well not horrible huh not till you figure it's 400 hours <laughs> that's right right it's every single hour right yeah. so yeah realistically if you can go i think 15 minute miles 15 to 20 minute miles yeah. when you're moving mm -hmm. uh then you can kind of you can make that pacing of 2k an hour yeah um, and and that's what we so, do. Yeah, when we're out, that's kind of the. Cause, yeah, right. You know, that's that's easy to do if you don't dick around much. Well, right, and depending on the weight of your pack, yeah. right? Because you know, um, it's certainly easier if you have a ten pound pack. That's a lot lighter than a fifteen pound pack, yep. and it's really easy to have it get heavy quickly. You yeah. know. Yeah. It's, so, uh, and that's the one thing we're finding is. The fact that everything is in French is making it a little unusual, a little bit harder. But um, Paulette's working on her French, and she knew it. She knew it real well in school. So all of a sudden, she's you know speaking it much better. So uh -huh. that that will be a help. Um, so you know, and the other thing is, is you know, you get why go any faster? Because you get to the finish sooner. You're just going to have to wait around. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like it's an adventure hike, not a race, you know? I mean, who races for 900 kilometers, yeah. right? That's like 15 days of, yeah, that's just, that's getting kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. Unless you're Ian Keith, then he can go do it. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, Ian's, I don't know if he signed up for it. He's I don't doing the think first. so. Well, he hadn't when I had talked to him a few months ago or a month and a half ago or whatever, but, you know. He yeah, never, well, I'm sure he would do well. Yeah, he's an, he's an well, go go listen to the podcast if you haven't heard it, but he's an interesting person. Yeah, I know. I've raced with him. He's yeah, I know. He's, uh, he's, he's uh, South Dakota. Yeah, he's really, yeah, a very interesting person, how somebody can run that fast on the trail and on the road. Yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so the other thing, are you doing your, uh, run around the gorge again this year? Uh, yeah, I am. Um, this will be year seven, amazingly. Yeah. And, uh, I'm over half full this year already. Uh, last year it sold out. Mm -hmm. I figure it's going to sell out again this year. So that's good. That's kind yeah. of, kind of sort of getting to be a, well, obviously cause you sell out, but it's kind of a cool big deal on now. It's a nice beginner stage race. You know, it's just two stages. You have a nice cushy bed to, cabin to sleep in with a hot tub. So you can get a little bit of recovery in there in between. But, you know, you do still have to run yeah. 16 miles after running a marathon. So, you know, it's definitely not easy. But, um, yeah, I like doing it. So as long as I like doing it and enjoy it, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah. So same thing with the, I put it on a 24-hour row game um, April 30th and May 1st. Um, and that's the same thing. It's just fun. I, I like it. I go up there. I get to set points. 
last year I think I saw eight bears. You know, <laughs> I mean, so yeah. Yeah. So, um, to when's the Rogaine? April 30th. It's called the Get Stoked Rogaine. It's actually getstokedrogaine.com. Right. Yeah, and it's over. I think it's half to three quarters full as well. So, yeah. I'm hoping that fills up too. Okay. Well, we'll obviously put links links up to that again. So, oh yeah, um, that'd be great. Um, so I'm kind of going back to the old one. So let's say it's been a year and a half since we talked. Which yeah. I think it's roughly. How many people have you raced with in that last year and a half? <laughs> <laughs> I don't keep track, Randy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, a, a couple few. of new people, but, but mostly Odyssey, you know, yeah. and, uh, and, and some goals people, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I, I did meet a couple of ultra runners that want to get into adventure racing. So I may be doing a race with them this fall. Uh, so that'll add two more new people to my list and neither one of them has really done any substantial adventure racing. So we'll see how that goes. That's kind of cool. We, uh, we had the discussion in Belize of who's raced with more people, you or JD. Yeah, right. It's probably JD, but uh, yeah. Well, more people probably admit they've raced with you than with him. <laughs> yeah, but um, um, shoot, there was something. Something I wanted to ask you about Patagonia. Now I forgot again. Yeah. You know, it's not, you would think that maybe I would learn to like take notes. You know. <laughs> What I'm thinking about. Who well, I'm sooner or later, you know. Yeah. Um, well, I could talk about it for days and days because it really is an amazing experience. Um, you know, I, I don't know if everybody should try it, but, but people that like, you know, expeditions and really kind of want a challenge and want to be humble. Yeah. You know, the idea that one kilometer an hour is, is pretty quick. It's, <laughs> it's kind of kind of crazy you don't you, you have no concept of what the terrain is like that drops you to that pace you know until you do it yeah that that what would be okay so i'm i'm joe adventure racer and i'm like hey mark i want to do patagonia talk me into it or out of it <laughs> okay <laughs> well I, okay here's it i've done i've done uh Cowboy Tough, and I've done like a half a dozen 24-hour races, you know, in a you know three or four-day race. Yeah, talk me into it or out of it. Well, I'd always be a fan of, you know, go try it, go go see. I'm not going to try and talk you out of it. Uh, I might tell you maybe to do, you know, another long race or something beforehand, but but it's you know, if you're prepared, mm -hmm. you know, you, you can get through it. You know, it, it's not impossibly difficult. Obviously, teams finish, so you know there's a, but there is some being smart to it, and and it's also hard for novice teams because it really is hard to imagine when somebody says it's a seventy kilometer trek, and oh by the way, there's no trails. Yeah. You know, you think, oh okay, you know, what does that really mean? Well, it really means there's no trails, <laughs> and you know, I told some teams that. Uh, prior mm -hmm. and and then when they were had their sort of their final interview they were like we couldn't believe it there were no trails and it's like i told you there was no trails <laughs> so um yeah i i think you know if you if you like challenges and you're an adventure racer you, sh you could you should go try it um well i agree i mean yeah. it's different every year 
you know, it's a, it is painful to go down there and be uh, pulled from the race after a day or two, you know, so you really want to at least have your stuff together so that doesn't happen to you. Mm -hmm. um, but that could, that, that could be kind of a crapshoot too, because, you know, one year Paulette's team was just starting to gel when they got pulled, you know, right. and if they'd have had, you know, another few hours, they'd have start moving faster. But yeah. Uh, and historically there's no short coursing, right? If you know. miss the cutoff, you're just done. Yeah. Well, there's no, um, no short course. Hey everybody. Legendary Randy Erickson here, jumping in with a quick word from journey racing. Their nomad is an epic 48 hour race full of adventure. This race is ideal to get your feet wet in multi-day adventure racing. Just finishing this race will be a feat, and clearing the course will earn you the elite title of Nomad. Expect rugged mountain adventure in the wilds of Colorado. The Nomad will include gravel and single track mountain biking, bushwhacking, boulder scrambling, trekking, and navigation, and, on top of everything else, a hair-raising guided whitewater trip through the Royal Gorge. Pretty cool. Um, the Nomad will be the race of your life. Coming June uh, 10th through the 12th of this summer, 2016, with pre-race events beginning on the 9th. Check out our show notes for links to the race, and uh, hopefully we'll see you there. I'm going to be there. Well, right, exactly, because it's such a big point-to-point -point event that it's not really feasible to short course people. And, and, and also, transportation down there is so difficult. You know, I mean, a team called for a rescue helicopter because they were... Uh, their tent ripped and their sleeping bags were soaked and they were, you know, halfway through the trek. And so they're hypothermic. And so they call for a helicopter and the helicopter says, well, you know, the weather's bad. We'll be there in 12 hours. So they had to hunker down for 12 hours, you know? So like even dropping out is no picnic. Yeah. A couple years ago, uh, uh, Wendy dropped out mm -hmm. and because of knee pain and it was a 20 kilometer trek to the boat you know, to get out. Yeah. So, you know, they didn't come get her. They're like, okay, you're out of the race. You still have to walk 20K. Yeah. <laughs> I think we, um, somebody that I've talked about, yeah, it's the hardest race in the world to drop out of. Yeah, right? And it really is. Like, when we when we decided to quit, we were at a transition area. Mm -hmm. And so we just waited for them to pack up and then got on a boat. Yeah. But it was a tiny little boat and we're all crammed in there with gear and kayaks all piled on top of us. And then we get... It was like a fire hose. We just got totally soaking wet because the wind was up and we had to go across this big fjord. You know, so you get to the other side and you're completely drenched and then you wait two hours for a ferry and then it's a six-hour ferry ride and then you wait on a dock for two hours and then eventually you get into town. You know, so it's, it's 15 hours after you've dropped out of the race that you're finally someplace warm. Uh, yeah, so it's definitely a hard race to drop out of. <laughs> Well, it keeps you going. Um, okay, here's here's one of these kind of silly questions, time travel questions. What if you could go back? What would you? What in, advice would you give to yourself the first time you went down there? Ooh, what advice would I give to myself? Let's see. Well, we ran out of food for a day and a half. And, and we eventually got picked up by a, an army helicopter. And we were only about 5K from the finish line. So I think we could have persevered and got there. At that point, we'd been living on berries, so we were pretty strung out. Um, 
Yeah, but we carried all the food we had. It wasn't like we had we could have brought more. Yeah. So you know what would I have told myself? Uh, it's not as bad as it seems. <laughs> you know, we ran out of food and we thought, oh, that's terrible. But then, I mean, the calafate berries are in bloom and like they're everywhere, and you know they're quite tasty and full of sugar. So um, we managed. Yeah, just keep eating. But, that's right. You just keep gathering and eating, and there's, you know, yep. So, um, okay, kind of in the same vein, um, and I know these are kind of different questions, but I, I guess I'm the same way. I mean, Pat, you know, I've seen enough of it, heard stories from Paul Ed that it, it is very, um, you just want to know more. But, yeah. um, shoot, now what was I going to say? Oh, do you kind of envy people that it's their first time? Ooh. <laughs> I mean, well, you know okay. what I mean? Because they don't know what it is, and but it's so cool and it's so new that it's so exciting, but it's going to suck for them. So. Yeah, I don't think envy is the right word. <laughs> um, yeah. it, I, I hope for them. Okay. <laughs> It, um, my analogy is, is I, I talk to people that, and they say, well, I've never seen Breaking Bad. And I'm like, oh, man, I wish I was you and I could see that again for the first time. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, it is, it's different. You know, every, it, it's seeing the glaciers and the weather. And so every race down there is different. I mean, every race is different, yeah. even if it's a similar course, right? Yeah. So, but yeah, not knowing, not really knowing what you're getting into well, you have these thoughts. I remember my first time going, okay, there's got to be a track in here somewhere. He wouldn't have sent us up this river valley if there wasn't a trail somewhere. So we spent a lot of time crisscrossing the bottom of the river valley and the river looking for a trail, you know, because it's like no race director would send us into this stuff. It's like this is, this is insanity, you know. I mean, we can't crawl under it. We can't crawl over it. We can't push through it. We've got to, like, find ways around, and sometimes it's – you know, it's a kilometer to the left or the right to get around some of these thickets. Or you get into a swamp and you can barely walk in it because the ground is so uneven and there's big, you know, like knees sticking up everywhere. And, and you just think, this can't be what he meant for us to do. And it turns out that it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, a first timer, I, I, I assume that a lot of people go through that. They're just like, this can't be what he meant. There must be a, a, the right way, and we're not on it, you know? <laughs> well, and then but, eventually you learn that, no, there is no wrong way. Yeah, right. Um, oh, can you explain a little bit what all the time bonuses and where people got stopped and – or were you not really involved in any of that and don't know anybody? No, we got that. stopped at both of them, actually. Okay. Um, so what happens is the, the kayaking down there is always very sketchy because of the wind. Yep. And so there's kind of windows when you can, when you can paddle. Yeah. Um, and every paddling leg, uh, a lot of them get shortened or canceled or changed because of the weather. And it's all up to the Chilean Navy. Okay. And so they decide if you can paddle or not. So um, Stepan doesn't really get a lot of say in that. Mm -hmm. And so like this year, their first kayak was just like a seven-kilometer crossing. You cross this fjord. Um, 
But the winds were so strong there that the yoga slackers made it across at 6 a.m. And by 8 o'clock, they were saying a 90-knot wind. Wow. You know, and nobody else could go. Hmm. So you're stuck there. And the wind doesn't die down until literally the next morning. So you're really, you're stuck there for almost 24 hours. And so, so what he does is he gives you a time credit that he then equalizes later on in the race. So the teams that make it across can keep going, but at some point they're going to get a forced rest. Okay. Um, and that sort of, so they get a break as well, because now you have these teams that were stuck. Mm-hmm. Well, on the one hand, they're way in the back, but they've also rested. All right. Um, and so, like, basically the uh, God's Own team got there eight hours ahead of us, which meant they got an eight-hour rest that we didn't get. Yeah. Um, so at checkpoint 15, we were going to have to wait for eight hours um, to make that up, regardless of where God's Own was. If they were ahead of us or behind us, that was irrelevant. We had to wait those eight hours. Okay. You know, and if they beat a team by three hours, that team would have to wait three hours. And so that equalizes everybody's wait times. Yeah, okay. That makes sense, yeah. finally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so that happened at both kayaks. Like, the, like, we caught up to the front runners at the second kayak because they had to wait for a day and a half for a window to kayak in. Okay, yeah. <coughs> so. Yeah, so... It, it, see, that that's the funny thing. That's one of those things that... You know, you're reading sleep monsters and blah 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 and wherever, and it's like nobody really quite understands it. <laughs> you know, yeah, you get so, somebody and it takes you like two minutes to explain it all. So, um, right, it's it's confusing when you're sleep deprived and racing and cold, and you know all the yeah. team captains are like, "What? Huh?" But no. it it does make some logistical sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, all right, I I got really just got one more question, and then. I'm going to let you go ballroom dancing. <laughs> oh, thank you. And uh, see first podcast for that, people. And uh, I'm going to take the dog out. But how the hell has God's Own won six times in a row? <laughs> well, it is different people. That's I mean, true, Nick but is... it's kind of a, yeah. I don't, there's you know, more there. They're amazing athletes. And they've got the experience, and 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 they're fit, and yeah. they train for it, and they know what they're getting into, and they make really smart decisions. Yeah. Um, it was touch and go this year. Yeah, uh, I think East Wind would have given them a, a run for their money if um, I think it was Masato crashed and broke his orbital and, and messed up his neck. But they were they had a pretty good lead, and you know, and then. They entered back into the race after going to the hospital, and they kind of caught back up to everybody. You know, they were really fit. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think God's own – maybe they got away with one this year. I don't know. But uh, but they're all super athletes, you know, and they're just nonstop. And they had their own issues. You know, all – I think three of the four of them got a traveler's bug during the race. And so, like, for the first three days, somebody was carrying two packs. And somebody was throwing up. Um, and so they didn't really kind of get their, you know, cylinders all firing until the second big track. Yeah. So that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Okay. And you know how I lie about it. but and I, and I have no idea if you had any insight in this. But 
what is it about this race and and East Wind? Because it's like seems like it's the only time kind of you ever hear about them, and they're down there just you know getting better every year. It seems like. Uh, I don't I don't know what's going on. If they've got some kind of national thing, it seems like it because they had two really amazing videographers slash mountaineers that followed them for the whole race. Yeah. You know, yeah. they basically did the race with cameras. Yeah. Uh, and I think they make a movie and they've got a decent budget. And I think there's some national sponsorship. Um, and they focus on this race. Now they've come to worlds. Yeah. But this is really kind of the only, I mean, really it's the only time you really sort of hear about them. In a big yeah, way. I guess so. But, so, yeah, well, I guess it's just a thing for them, you know. The, the captain, they like doing it, and yeah. and they they do pretty well, and so they keep coming back. Can't can't beat that. I mean, yeah, right. Doing well, and you get to go to Patagonia. So, what's not to like? Right. So, um, well, cool. Well, thanks, because you know what I yeah. wanted to hear about the race. So, always a pleasure. So, um. Uh, well, I won't see you at Trans Pyrenees. I'm not going, but oh, you're not. Okay. Well, well, I gotta go shoot Cowboy Tough. <laughs> okay. Well, and it'd be kind of boring too, right? I mean, it just sort of. It yeah. kind of might be. I mean, I could see where he, you know, I could be busy, but you know, kind of the deal we made is, you know, I get to go to New Zealand, so Paulette gets to go to France. Okay. Then, All right. So you're gonna go down and shoot Cowboy Tough. Yeah. Or, I mean, Godzone. Godzone. Yeah. It's like. I'm actually already I'm almost unpacked from Belize, but I'm not really because if I wait like another four or five days, then I can just start packing again. <laughs> right. So. When do you leave? Um, Easter, the 27th. So. Wow, close, coming up. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of excited about it. So, and I'm trying to figure a way to go to World, so maybe we'll see you there. Yeah. Well, right now I'll be there. We'll just. I'm not. Don't quite have the team totally worked out, but we do have a spot. So that's the important thing. Yeah, and I think that's going to be a fun race. I, I just Craig and Louise just do such a top-notch job that I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I think it'll be pretty good. So yeah. All right. Well, cool. Well, everybody else has to go fast, take chances, and me and you've got our we've done our bit for the day. Yep. Very good. All right. All right. Thanks, Mark. Yep. Take care, Randy. Bye. Ciao. Are you ready? Well, all right then. It's, it's the ballroom blitz. It's, it's the ballroom blitz. It's, it's the ballroom blitz.
passionate one. Wow! Yeah! It was like lightning. Everybody was frightening. And the music was soothing. And the yacht started grooving. Yeah! 
Thank you so much and good night from the suites.